You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe podcast, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. If you're not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community dedicated to the unique needs of founders of boutique pro-serve firms. My name is Greg Alexander. I'm the founder and I'll be your host today. On this episode, we're going to talk about how professional services firms can improve their margins by leveraging a global workforce. And this is a topic we've discussed in the past. However, there's some interesting dynamics that are happening different places across the world. And I wanted to bring an expert on and and have him give us an update on what's happening. So we do have a role model with us. His name is Satyam Kantamini. I hope I got that correct. Satyam, it's good to see you. Please uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's a privilege. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I uh, run a boutique design firm or UX uh, design firm based out of uh, Pleasanton, California. Uh, but we have presence in uh, Colombia and India. So it's kind of fascinating to have a conversation on this side. Yeah, very good. So let's start there. If, if you wouldn't mind, maybe compare and contrast the the labor cost for, you know, those that would be employed by a professional services firm in the U.S., in India, and in Colombia, since you're operating in all three geographies. <laughs> So I think I, before I kind of come in to contrast those numbers, I would probably break it down into maybe two categories. Okay. Uh, I would call it the knowledge worker category versus the back office category. Got it. Uh, so the knowledge worker category is where we play in, which is people are directly engaging with clients and driving stuff and are being paid as experts uh, wherever they are in the globe. Uh, so when you look at, uh, and both of them have a very different uh, labor structure, both in terms of cost, training, grooming, everything else that goes to it. So I can at least share with you very quickly uh, in our context, when we talk about the knowledge workforce, uh, we actually, a dollar in India, that means for labor cost, translates to about dollar uh, 40 cents in Colombia, translates to about $3 in the United States. That means... Uh, for the same talent, I pay $3 in the US, I pay a dollar in India and $1.40 in Colombia uh, for knowledge work, workforce. That number changes uh, significantly when you're looking at back office, uh, where, uh, you know, a, it's basically a dollar in India, uh, it's a dollar in Colombia, and it's about uh, $4 in the uh, in uh, United States. And just because it's cheaper in India and Colombia when you look at back office where there's no direct uh, working with any of the stakeholders. So uh, that's kind of what I would uh, kind of on a high level to kind of share with you some numbers on that side. So very interesting. I'm, I'm already thrilled that you're here because I was not distinguishing between the knowledge worker and the back office. And that was a mistake in my behalf. And I understand the distinction and it's an important one. Um, you know, it strikes me, it jumps off the page if we use your metrics here that um, in the U.S., it's three bucks for knowledge work and four dollars for back office. That seems upside down to me. So, if I'm understanding that correctly, the knowledge worker in the U.S. is making less than the back office worker in the U.S. Uh, to a large level, just because the labor cost is much lower in, in uh, India and uh, and Colombia, 
right? So uh, that's why the ratios are, so it's, again, if it's, it's $80,000 to get, uh, let's say an accountant in, in the United States, you can get that for 20,000 in India and Colombia. Okay, got it. Right? And whereas uh, it's much more expensive to hire knowledge workers uh, outside the country. Because remember the variables around language, uh, Colombia is not always bilingual. So you have to pay a premium for that. Uh, again, if they have to kind of be an expert, so you pay a premium for knowledge workers when you're outside, but still it is cheaper. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, very good. And it's nice to hear how it's dimensionalized. Language is one of the dimensions. Now, from what I understand, um, the labor market, the talent market for knowledge work offshore is tightened a bit and that these um, costs are changing in these different geographies. I'd love to hear about that, maybe how that's changed over the last, I don't know, three to five years. And then also, I'd love for you to project out, at least to the best of your knowledge, where you think that's going. So the interesting thing that I, I, I would say we are starting to notice in the post-pandemic, uh, the labor markets uh, are actually uh, rationalizing very fast. Uh, and I say that because, uh, and I'll give you an example in Colombia, for example. Uh, people are directly hiring in Colombia. They're willing to pay a premium for that. And especially with this whole remote working mindset, mm -hmm. people are like, hey, if I was just going to hire somebody who's going to work, you know, three hours in terms of time, time zone away, why, can't, why don't I just cross a border and then hire somebody in Mexico and Colombia? So that just is uh, changing a lot. And that... So when we started the process with Colombia, the ratio between India and, and uh, Colombia was only one is to 1.2. And it, that inflation increased because of, just because people were directly willing to kind of hire somebody in Colombia and or in any of the neoshoring facilities and, and bring people in. So that's changing. And I continue to see that happening. I, it looks like you know, even in your team, you have people in yeah. parts of the country. And that's what's happening. People in the United States are relocating to other parts and then they are willing to take a little cut, but not too much because they're still being paid for their uh, impact. So I have see five years from now, I, this will normalize a lot more if you're looking for finding lateral talent. And that's another differentiation I would make is lateral talent is going to get be more and more premium. You'll still see a, a variance between hiring in the United States versus others just because the cost of living is different. Uh, but uh, for a good talent, you start that will start normalizing. But for entry level talent, it's a totally different game system, and, and I think that is where the value is. Uh, where if you kind of have a good grooming system, if you have a good way to kind of uh, onboard people, uh, you can continue to keep those margins pretty high. Yeah, it's a great lead into my next question. I understand that your firm UX Reactor has a fantastic way of hiring entry level developing them, grooming them over time. So please share that with the audience. How are you doing this? So uh, I come from a military background, right? And, and, and so when, uh, and one thing that the military and most professional militaries do really well is they groom people, uh, they select people on aptitude and attitude. They drill them well with techniques and then wherever they are as a fighting force, they all have the same language and the same structure. Uh, the same applies to us. So irrespective of whether somebody is in Colombia, somebody is in India, somebody is in the United States, they all have the same vocabulary, the same structure, the same process. There's no inconsistency between uh, how that things are done. So that is the foundational, I would say, structure. To make that happen, that means you have to kind of select people on the same variables uh, of aptitude and attitude. You, you kind of groom them for the same variables. You drill them, you coach them in the same aspects. 
And the best part is this also becomes a camaraderie because everyone's gone through the same drill. Mm. Uh, and uh, because the back office model has always been structured around the high end work is done by someone else, the low end work is done by someone. So that's a different mindset. And I think that that works well. That's how most of the offshoring has worked. Uh, and it has its own, uh, you know, benefits when you can run a 24 hour cycle, especially if you're working at halfway around the world. But I, I can obviously in the knowledge working side, that is the big factor that's continued to kind of allow us to thrive. So when you take, and for that to happen, you need to have a good relationship with in your intake processes, like with universities, with uh, wherever you're bringing your talent in. How do you select them? How do you groom them? So that's what we've been doing really well. And once that system is in a rhythm, uh, the supply side of talent keeps going on. And the good thing is, uh, you know, three years down the line, you will have people who are three years at tenure, four years down the line, you're four years in tenure. So it's a pyramid of people will start, as attrition happens, you'll still retain a good model of people coming in again, very much like the military. And then uh, everybody is a mentor and everybody's a mentee and it just continues to be a nurturing system. Yeah. So let me ask you about the mentor mentee and I'll use myself as an example, just because the people that are listening to this are members and they can resonate with that. So we, we have partnerships with universities, two in particular, Baylor university and TCU here in Texas. We're based in Dallas and those are schools around us. And we've partnered with their career development office and we're bringing young talent in and we're screening for aptitude and attitude. It's making me feel good to hear you say these things. And then we're, you know, we're growing these people over time. The strain that that does put on the system is that, you know, the quote unquote senior people now have to, through the apprenticeship model, now have to help groom the young people, and we run into some resistance there, not only inside of our firm, although that's modest, but when I share this idea with others, the, sometimes the founders of these firms say, no way, I don't wanna be running a daycare center, I just wanna hire very senior people and not have to deal with all this. I think that's a mistake. I think a talent supply chain is mission critical to scaling a boutique pro-serve firm, but what would your response be to someone who might share that concern? Yeah, I think, if I had the opportunity to hire everybody who's lateral, everybody who's motivated, everybody who's enthusiastic, absolutely. But as and we all know, as people get more tenured, there are different things that kind of motivate them. Uh, and uh, you know, they, they're happy coaching, but they're not happy doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so when you start looking at doers, and there's a lot of that that's needed, and, and especially our side of work, you and people who are excited about you know a new client and so on and so forth. There is there is a benefit of having hyper enthusiastic folks. Uh, that's why every general is not catching and holding the gun, right? So there's also everybody has a role there. Uh, now to your point, you know it's it's all coming. It comes down to having a system, a system mm -hmm. that's in rhythm, mm -hmm. and the system here is. It, and we we run something called a skill based system. That means, and and given that we work in a construct of uh, what we do is a profession. You know, it goes all the way from an entry level, you know, a, a designer to a chief design officer in a company. So it's a profession all the way. And so there's skills. A chief design officer has a very different set of skills, and an entry level has a different set of skills. We we teach skills and teach, and that's the thing where we don't need a senior to teach someone how to, let's say, for example, do a competitive analysis. There's, there's that methods there, there's coaching videos, there's artifacts there. So a lot of that is already out there for them to get to zero to 80. 
And uh, and again, with people with the right aptitude and attitude, this is a generation where you can sit on YouTube and learn coding over the weekend and then code something. So again, if you have the aptitude and attitude, you can do a lot of things. We just enable that. Yeah, I've been blown away by how capable this generation is. I think, and I might be getting this wrong, but I think they're called Gen Z and they come after the millennials. The millennials have got a bad rap, maybe rightfully so in some cases. But the Gen Z, the, the let's call it the newly minted undergraduate up to maybe, I don't know, 25, 26, 27 years old, it's been miraculous of how capable they are. And for the things that you just said, I mean, they grew up, you know, this way, doing things this way. Right. Instead of coming to you with every little question, their first thing is to go to YouTube and try to figure it out on their own. So, and I share that with members just because I think maybe sometimes our members have a misconception as to what this really is. You'd be surprised at how self-reliant and how capable this group is. All right. Well, I'm sure we can talk about this forever. Um, we try to keep these podcasts short. Um, we will be having, for members that are listening to this, a Friday role model ses session with Satyam. Look for that meeting invite. This will give you an opportunity to double click into this in much greater detail and ask direct questions of Satyam and he'll share more and more of his knowledge with you on that. So that's my call to action for members. Look for that invite. If you're not a member, uh, I would encourage you to become one. Uh, and you can do so at collective54.com. Fill out a form, and one of our reps will call you. As an inspiration, I mean, you just heard it's three or four to one, you know, in some of these countries. So if you're a boutique pro serve firm and you're not tapping into the global talent supply chain, that in and of itself is a reason to consider joining. And if you're not ready to join, but you want to read more about the types of topics we discussed in addition to this one, I'd point you to our book. It's called The Boutique, How to Start, Scale, and Sell a Professional Services Firm. You can find it on YouTube. Satyam, thank you for coming on the call today. I always enjoy our chats. Glad that they're happening more frequently. And thanks for contributing to our collective body of knowledge today. Absolutely. Thank you for you know doing all the great stuff in Collective 54. Okay, very good. Have a good day.